Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning we're going to continue our uh, series from Nehemiah. And as I mentioned last week, we are in the section of Nehemiah that now we are dealing with the building of the people. The first several chapters we uh, considered the building of the walls of Jerusalem to uh, provide protection and assurance for the people so they could finish the temple on the inside and begin their worship after having been in captivity uh, for so long in Babylon and in Persia. In chapter 8 this morning, we're going to continue to consider the rebuilding of the people of God. So I ask you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Incidentally, if, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you'd like a Bible, uh, we have a Bible we'd love to give you. So you just see me or Pastor Kevin or Gary or Susie, one of the staff members, and we would love to give you a Bible so you can have one. And I encourage you to bring it with you to church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word. Uh, We pray that uh, as we just have sung, Lord, uh, these are ancient words in a sense. They were written uh, a long time ago. But they are relevant words for every generation because they are your holy inspired words. And as the Apostle Paul said, all scripture is given that we might profit from it, that we could be trained in righteousness, that we could be convicted. And Lord, that uh, the Holy Spirit would use these words to challenge us and to help us to draw close to you. And so to that end, we give you these next few moments as we continue to worship through the reading and study of your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. This morning's uh, sermon I've titled, A Watergate Revival. Uh, From some of you that are uh, my generation and so forth and older, Maybe a little younger, you would know that sort of the, you know, that, that word Watergate right away, or we associate some uh, uh, events in our past, uh, political events from the 70s, with Watergate. I actually, after I gave it to uh, Daryl to put in the bulletin, I realized yesterday that I, I probably should have, uh, you know, it's a little play on words, but it actually is Watergate. It's two words in the Bible, it's not Watergate. But uh, I'm sure that the uh, pun is not lost on some of you here. When the seventh month had come, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in a square before the water gate. uh, Jerusalem has several gates around the city, like all the old cities had. The gates were very important because they were, now the walls were up and the gates were in place, they could provide protection. The water gate probably was down at the southwestern side of the city by the Gihon Springs. If you ever go to Jerusalem today, down by Hezekiah's Tunnel, Gihon Spring, it probably was down in that area. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood 
Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and to his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hajum, Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There's several things about this incident that are very um, uh, interesting and very helpful. Uh, This is a very encouraging part of the Old Testament scripture. As, and I want you to remember that, as I mentioned early on in the study, in the, in the Old Testament, originally the, the Old Testament Hebrew, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were really one book. And, um, but they have, they have a natural separation. And so when you read Nehemiah, we need to remember Ezra, uh, many of the events in Ezra overlap and they, they, they fit together. And so this is the first time we really see a, a very significant role for Ezra in this Ezra-Nehemiah story as he had come back with the group to help rebuild the temple. And then Nehemiah came back to help rebuild the walls when that temple project came to a stop because of their enemies and because they had no walls and they were defenseless. Several things about this account I want you to notice. One of the things that's very obvious, when you think of the Old Testament history and you think of the difficulties that the people of God in the Old Testament had, in being faithful and following him, of being faithful to their calling. And, and God's promised his people that if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. Even though they were always his covenant people. And the reason they have come back from captivity is because of their sinfulness, their wickedness. They, they, they fell so far that they were, they were offering to, to all the idols around them. They were offering their own children as burnt offerings. They had... It was it was it just it had gone so low and finally they went into captivity and they lost the land. And God allowed them then after seventy years of fifty thousand to come back to the land. And so they are back in the land. And you'll notice here that it says specifically that the, the, the people assembled and that they were the ones who asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law in verse one. The people it was not the Nehemiah did not gather the people and say, now listen now, I want you all to come here and sit down because we are going to make you listen to God's word today. The people came to them and said, Ezra, bring out the Torah, bring out the scrolls and read them to us. We want to hear. And I just want you to know what an unusual exception in the Old Testament this story is that these people initiated this. And it was at their heart. God had put it in their heart, I believe. All great revivals in the, in the Christian faith, it begins with God putting it in the people's heart. And, and, and often it's around God's Word and the hunger and the thirst for, for God's Word and to draw close to God to know more about Him and, and to do what God says to do. And the people initiate this. Thirteen times in this section, the word people is used nine times all the people is used. The emphasis in this section is on the people of Israel and what they are asking and how they respond and what the leaders do for the people of Israel. So I just want you to to, to make a note mentally, if you will. This is a, a high point in Old Testament history that the people of God 
desire this, are willing to do this, and the results that come that are, that are so wonderful. The people come to and they say, bring out the scrolls, bring out the books and read them. You must remember, as I'm sure you know, but just to help remind you, that our context is quite different. Um, you know, I have, I have Bible. I have many Bibles in my office. I'm a pastor. You know, I have lots of Bibles. I have lots of translations. I have the freedom uh, to, to buy any Bible I want, to, to use any Bible. I have, you have Bibles on your cell phones today, right? And you have them in your, yes, thank you. Okay, I see that. Yes, yes I see that phone. Okay, it's good. <laughs> I mean, you, you can take the Word of God anywhere with you. And that's great. That's great technology that you can you could you could be sitting on a bus, you could be sitting in traffic if if you're really stuck in traffic, and uh, you know look at look at your the scriptures, but not so with these people. They didn't have the scriptures in their homes per se. They may have portions of it, but the the Old Testament screen, you know, writing, you know, before printing and before books and now electronic technology. It was very difficult. It was very, very expensive. The average person cannot afford to have anything written. I mean, it was a, it was a laborious process. It was expensive. The scrolls, the scrolls were kept during the time of the Babylonian captivity when he began to copy the scrolls and put them in the synagogue as the synagogues all developed during this time. And they, and they didn't have the Word of God accessible like you do. They could not say, you know, I'm going to sit down and read Exodus today. They couldn't do that. They'd have to go somewhere and have it read to them. And so they ask Ezra, and it's interesting that Ezra is ready, and Ezra is prepared to do this. And I want you to notice also that given the Old Testament context and the cultural context from which it comes, do you notice that it emphasizes the men and the women? I don't know if, you've know if you caught that or not. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, we'll talk about the number of men present and so forth. And that, that understanding the, the patriarchal culture and so on, that, that included oftentimes the whole assembly. And it's understood. But it does specifically say, so there's no doubt, the men, the women, and I think the children. Because it talks about those who could understand. And that's a way of saying all those who were old enough to, to have some comprehension of what was going on they all came together and they, and they all interacted with God's Word. The men, the women, young and old, the entire community. And I want you to notice also that where this takes place, if it had taken place in the temple courts, that would have been limiting. Then it would have only been men. It would only have been certain men. It would only have been purified and cleansed men. It would have been very limiting. But wisely... This takes place in a public forum, in a public square, where Ezra and Nehemiah wisely have this, this is where it takes place, at the water gate, at the square in front of the water gate, where everybody was invited, men, women, children, even any non-Jews that were in the audience that, that were not causing trouble trying to stop the work that were there. Everybody was invited. Everybody was invited. And all the people came together. This, this, I just, this is a high water mark in Old Testament history at the water gate. That the people initiate this, they come together, and a true revival takes place centered around the hearing of the Word of God. You notice in verse 2, it's the first day of the seventh month. Now this is important because this is really what today... In, on the Jewish calendar, and on your calendars too if you see it, it's called Rosh Hashanah. It's what we call the Jewish New Year. 
And the, the Jews have two New Year's. You know, in a sense, we do too. You know, our New Year actually is January 1st, but for most of, most of my life, my context is what? September 1st. You know, all the years I spent in school and in college, it was all based on the academic, our church year, our financial year at church. We have kind of two New Year's. And this is, the, this is what today, Jewish New Year, goes back to Leviticus 23. This is the, 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 the Feast of Trumpets. On the Feast of Trumpets, the shofar horns would blow. And it would, it would be a sign to Israel. And they've taken it today and made it a sign of repentance. And a sign preparing for the coming Holy Day of Yom Kippur. It's, it, this was the Feast of Trumpets from Leviticus 23. The first day of the seventh month is when this took place. And he brings the people together. And, and all who can understand, verse 2. And you notice verse 3. He reads it aloud from daybreak Till noon. Now, how long do you think that is? Roughly, I don't know, was anybody up at daybreak this morning? Anybody? Thanks, man. Okay. I know that when I came in this morning to church, Jonah, as I was coming in, Jonah was just getting his car in his firefighter's outfit, if I'm not mistaken, weren't you? So Jonah found out from his wife, did his work, his shift at the fire department last night, came this morning. What were you doing here that early? Come for practice? All right, in your firefighter's outfit. And went home, showered, cleaned up, grabbed a bite, and came back and helped lead worship this morning. Thanks, Jonah, for doing that. So I know he was up at daybreak today, okay? I appreciate all of you that volunteer your ministries and services and give. We appreciate that so much. Six hours. Daybreak till noon is six hours. So for six hours, they sat, they stood there and heard God's Word just read to them. Six hours. But you know, if you didn't have access to God's Word, if you hadn't read God's Word or heard it read to you for a long time, uh, you'd be willing to do that if it was important to you. And they stood there for six hours, from noon to daybreak. And they listened attentively. And they, and they built that platform. Ezra had this platform. He was ready for this. They had this platform built. And it lists all these men who were with him. He opened the book and all the people could see him. And you notice in verse 6, he begins this... Well, verse 5, you notice the people stood up. And that's why Jonah had his stand earlier today to read the Scripture. It comes from this Old Testament tradition. that, that we, It's just a tradition that we stand in reverence. for. No one said, okay, everybody stand up now. When the Word was started, opened up, they stood, all of them. And so... This is where this tradition comes from, this reverence. And, and you'll notice that they stand and they read it. And it says in the beginning, in verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And they lifted their hands and they responded, Amen and Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And I want you to notice here, you know, sometimes in our culture today, we tend to compartmentalize what we're doing here this morning. This, we call this our worship service, our worship gathering. In fact, today many churches call their building they meet in worship centers. We tend to compartmentalize sometimes, or we've had this tendency at times. Some people think of worship as the music, to the point that I hear people today talk about the worship. You ever heard that phrase? Say, I really enjoyed the worship. And oftentimes you're meaning I enjoyed the music and the singing and the scripture and so on. We sometimes, when we talk about the sermon, you know, the offering, 
as if these are all nouns. And, and, we, and I want to remind you that worship, worship of God involves all of these things. Our offering, when we give to God in our offerings, this is an act of worship and our hearts should be in a worshipful attitude. Whether you put a little or a lot in the offering or you're not able to put anything in the offering or you're able to put a little, it doesn't matter. We do this as a congregation. It's an act of worship. When we sing together, we are worshiping God and our hearts should be in tune to, 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 to God. When our choir sang this morning in that, in that song, uh, Kyrie eleison, um, thinking of the, the you know the, the martyrs. My understanding of you know in the early in the earliest church that there was a tradition that that phrase Kyrie eleison was they actually would breathe it in and out because when they would find them, find themselves in a place where they could not read the word or maybe in a place where you're not allowed to read or preach or something. And, and it got in the habit of it became sort of a breathing in and breathing out. You, you breathe in Kyrie and you breathe out Eleison, Lord have mercy. And it was a reminder to them and they could do that quietly and, and meditatively without having to even say anything if they couldn't. This is an act of worship. And what we're doing right now in reading the scriptures and opening the scriptures and meditating and thinking about them, this is worship. This is not just the sermon and that is not just the music and the offering. And you'll notice that the, the reading of God's word to these people, that the result was they bowed their faces to the ground and they worshipped because of the word of God. The effect it was having in drawing them to God and worshipping God. So I want to encourage you as you prepare and come to church on Sunday mornings, that you come prepared to worship in everything that we do and to leave this place having focused on God. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know you come in today as I do with many things in my mind and many, you know, things that, that we you know, have, have to think about and do, and even on this day coming up, but we come prepared to worship. And so they did. And they read God's Word. And the revival began. Six hours. Now, I just want to conclude this section by saying, I want you to notice, these people come, they're expectant. They are come expecting to receive a blessing from God's Word. Ezra, Read God's Word to us. They were expectant when they approached God's Word. I want you to know that they are reverent. They are reverent. And this is a word that sometimes today we kind of go overboard the other way maybe to, 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 be, to, to bring everything to where it's... I don't know. It's just, you know, there is a certain reverence about God's Word. And, and a certain... Find that balance in our lives. Where we, we do have a reverence for God. A, a healthy reverence. And a healthy respect and expectation and understanding that this is God's Word and it is worthy of our consideration. It's worthy of our reading. It's worthy of our living by it. This is the focus of everything that we do. This is why we're called the Berean Bible Church. Because we want God to be the center of our church and the Bible is God's revealed Word that helps us to understand uh, what, what God wants us to know about Himself and His will. You know, this past week was Reformation Sunday on Halloween, right? You got my email. I draw that to your attention. That, uh, incidentally, if you don't get our church email and you would like it, uh, you can, there's a little thing in the narthex. You can sign up or just let us know. Call the church office and we'll put you on our email list. We just send out an email each week of reminders of things coming up, the sermon topic to prepare for, the worship we're looking forward to having. So, uh, and I mentioned this week on 
October 31st was when Martin Luther brought his case to the Roman Catholic Church. And it was really founded on sola scriptura, the idea that God's word alone is our sole authority for what we believe and what we do. We say for, for faith and practice, meaning that it's God's word. Is, it's not what I tell you. What I tell you is not your sole authority for faith and how you apply it. God's word is. What I'm doing is helping to explain and teach God's word. But my opinion is not what matters. It's God's word and our understanding of God's word. There was a reverence for it. They were expectant. They were reverent. And they were responsive. God's word caused something to happen in their, in their hearts. And they bowed down to worship as they listened to God's word. How is this, and how is this accomplished? You know, we read so often in scripture these gatherings where thousands of people come together. You know, I've got a microphone, and we've got, you know, a nice speaker, and you know, we spend a lot of time trying to get this, you know, right, because, you know, it's important that what you hear and what you see, and the guys that work our sound booth spend a lot of time and trying every Sunday to make sure things are working right. I can't imagine trying to talk to, you know, several thousand people with just my voice. You know, you ever think how they did that? How, how, did they, how do you speak to several thousand people so they all hear you? with just your natural voice. Um, how did this take place? How did this happen, that they were able to do this? And we get a little insight in this particular case, what happened. And I want you to notice verse 7, the Levites, and let's, let's read these guys' names, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jaman, Akub, Shabiathah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalitha, Azariah, Josazabed, Hanan, and Peliah. They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. So these men, now who's teaching? Ezra or these men? They read from the book of the law of God. And I want you to notice, please read this carefully. Making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Listen, friends, this is so important. And this is so critical and so applicable to us today. Because this is a tradition that we stand in today as God's people. And what seems to be happening here is these Levites and others, whether it's other Levites, family heads, tribal head, whatever, what's happening is they are going out and there's this scene where these men are, are going out and gathering with groups of people in this larger crowd. This is a small group ministry, okay? I mean, Ezra is teaching and preaching and these men, I don't know if, if, they, if they wait to hear what he says and then they do it, or if they take it and then they read it and then they go out to the people. But they're going out into the people in groups for the express purpose of accomplishing two things. The reason they're doing this, and this is important, this is why you know our church is not overly liturgical. And in the sense that you know, our goal is not to have you come and just, you know, when, when Jonah read the scripture and that's it for the week, that's all you need to do is just hear it and... You know, we want you to understand it. And what's happening here is these people are going out into the group, the large group, and they're gathering people in smaller, smaller large groups, I imagine, around them. And they're doing two things. Number one, you notice what it says? They're making it clear and they are giving the meaning of the, of the passage. Um, the King James translation said they read it in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense 
and cause them to understand the reading. And probably what's happening here is the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. These people, their common tongue now is Aramaic. It's a related language, but it is different. Parts of the Old Testament later on are written actually in Aramaic. Parts of Daniel, for example. But the first thing that's probably happened is, is probably translation. These people are going into the crowd and they're translating the Bible so that people can actually, ah, so that's what they're saying. They pick up bits and pieces and so forth, just like you might. And, it, you know, as you travel around the world, there are different forms of Spanish and so on and talk to people and they say, well, I could get the vocabulary. My dad spoke a mix of Hebrew and Spanish called Ladino. And, you know, you can make the sense of it, but it was different. I've got a, a who handed me this? Alex, did you hand me this today? Alex? Yeah, this was from uh, Myra. So I'm assuming it's Cambodian. That's not actually what it's called. The name of the language is something else. But it's interesting. It's, it's David C. Cook. And it's a, it's a, it's, it is in, very down in English. Um, it's uh, the story of Jesus Christ adopted from the Action Bible. And it's all in the Cambodian language. They've taken what was written here in America in an English David C. Cook Bible, illustrated Bible, and put it in Cambodian. So that people could look at it and say, ah, that's, that's what it is. It's translation. Wycliffe translators translating the Bible. So the first thing that these men are doing is going out in the crowd and making sure people understand what's being said. They put it in their language. And then secondly, they explain it to them. This is what it means. This is what it means. They exegete, we use the word. They, they tell them what it means with the, the, whole, the whole overall purpose of translation and explanation is then so that they could understand God's Word. This is what we are about today in this part of our ministry of teaching as we gather in this part of our worship service. As we worship in God's Word, we want this to be a time where you hear God's Word and you understand it. You think about it. You interact with it. You don't have to agree with everything I say or anybody else says here. This is God's Word. We want you to interact with it and think about it. We believe we're teaching it right. If you have a question or a different way of looking at it, uh, we encourage you to talk to us and interact with us. Their goal is, whether it's here or right now as we meet, if you could look out these windows, which you, you can barely, because you can't see too well, but right across the hall, uh, the courtyard there, are the windows to our two- and three-year-old department. I've got grandchildren in that age group. And as they meet over there, while we are meeting here, we are doing the same thing there. Now, they're not sitting around and someone's not getting up and preaching and they're not using words that they've never... But we are teaching it to them. We are teaching it to your children and grandchildren. When Kevin uh, has youth group tonight for the high school group, and we have a great group of young people that gather, and many of them are bringing their friends stuff. He teaches them God's Word. And He teaches it in a way that makes sense and that they can understand. And our young people are growing in God's Word. And even in this congregation today. And I know this. I, I'm fully aware of this. There are, there are people here who have, who have walked with the Lord and have been reading the Bible longer than I've been alive. And we've got people here, that some of you, this is brand new to you. This is brand new to you. And, and, and you haven't had maybe this, and I understand that. 
And, and, and so we, we're, we're trying to be inclusive, if you will, inclusive of everybody and presenting this in a way that, yes, there may be some things I say that, that you just that you don't understand and you need to ask. And, get, and for some of you to say, oh, I've heard that before. I understand. I, I know what Nehemiah is about. But this is what we're trying to do. And it's worth it's worth it. We, we're, we're all going to grow. We're all going to grow in this. And this is what they're doing. They're making it clear. They're, they're translating it and they're explaining it. And they're explaining it. They, actually, the word for making it clear is to break into parts. And that's exactly what they're doing. We are still committed to Christian education in this church. We are still committed to teaching the Bible. Listen, we have plenty of opportunities for you to learn God's Word. We have our Sunday morning service, what we're doing right now. We have Sunday school classes. We still call it Sunday school. And it, it's our, we could call it Bible classes if you want. It's the time that we, we meet for our fellowship and, and, and sharing and so forth. This morning we had food like we do once a month. But then we have our Bible classes that you can choose a class you want to attend. Tomorrow, after, tomorrow morning, there will be a group of ladies that will meet over in the library for Bible study. Tuesday night, Bible study fellowship uses our building and fills this church up with women who are coming. And any of you women are invited to come to that. You're welcome to come. And they have a, they'll have a week where they explain what they're doing. And so it's a pretty intensive, but a very, very well-organized and very productive Bible teaching ministry. Wednesday, I don't know how many of you know this, Wednesday morning, we have a group of uh, Chinese ladies, it's a Chinese Christian fellowship, and they are using our building. They meet downstairs in the lower lounge here, and they ask, you know, we, we need a place that's bigger, and we wanted to start a group in the north end, and there's very much like Bible study fellowship, so they're using our building on Wednesday mornings. Wednesday night, Pastor Gary teaches a Bible study in the upper lounge. Sunday night tonight, we'll be teaching Romans. We we are gathered around Bible, the Bible. We have small group, community type groups that meet throughout our neighborhoods, right here in Shoreline, uh, Bothell, South Everett, Green Lake area. We are all over the city meeting. We have small groups. You could avail yourself of something like that. There are plenty of opportunities for you to, to get involved throughout the week. And listen, the last thing I want to say, I, I probably have missed some, men's group. We have several men's group. My, my men's group met yesterday, not mine, but I'm part of it. We met yesterday morning, and we just are studying God's Word together, reading it and commenting and talking about it, learning together. The last thing I want to mention is our church library. It's in that building over there, just as you go out to the west. And we have an, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying because it's important to us. We have an excellent library with Bible learning materials and books in there. It's an excellent library. I think it's probably the finest church library you're going to find. And I encourage you, it's free. We, we, it's important to us. Make use of it. God's Word is important and we are committed to teaching you, your children, your grandchildren, your friends. We are committed to teaching God's Word. Look at the response. This is really interesting, though, as we conclude this. In verse 9, so the people are understanding. The Bible's given to them in their Aramaic tongue. It's explained to them. They're listening. It's exciting. And then Nehemiah, the governor. Now, Nehemiah's back on the scene here. Okay, it's been Ezra to now. Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, quote, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. 
For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, no, go enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's amazing. Here are these people just, you know, on their own. I'm assuming it's while the, the guys are in these groups explaining a word and, and, and going through the, the, the books of Moses and so forth and, and telling, and people are asking, well, what did this mean? What about this promise? And what about, you know, what happened? Why did we end up in captivity? And as they explain it, these people in mass begin to weep. And the word here, weep, means to cry out audibly. It wasn't like, you know, in our culture, I might do, you know, just kind of quietly, best I can't restrain it, you know. They're weeping audibly. And the whole congregation of Israel is weeping and crying because all of a sudden their hearts are struck by what God had asked of them as a people, what God had promised them. And what God had done for them and for those who went before and how they had got into this situation that they were even in captivity in the first place for disobeying God. And they were repentant and they were weeping and they were sorrowful. Now, this is an interesting situation for Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, this is probably a good thing, right? I mean, confession and repentance, you know, those are good words. Those are applicable for us in this dispensation. We don't confess our sins and repent to get our salvation over and over and over and over again. That's not what we're talking about. But it is a good thing for you to acknowledge to God that, that you need His help and that you acknowledge to God, Lord, this is not right. This part of my life, I understand. This is not, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have been, and I, and I know that, and I confess to you. It's a father-son, daughter, uh, father-daughter relationship. It's a parental-child relationship. It's not about getting your salvation and losing it and repenting that way. These people are in a covenant relationship. They are still the covenant people of Israel. They are still the people of God. In spite of, there's still always a faithful remnant God has preserved for himself. So this is kind of a dilemma, because on one hand, Nehemiah and Ezra, they may have, maybe they talked about this and said, I don't know, should we let, this is maybe a good thing, maybe it's good, but you notice what they do? Stop. Stop. Rejoice. This is a good day. God's word is being explained. And yes, there's a place for sorrow, there's a place for repentance, there's a place for confession. But there's a place for celebration of God's grace and mercy. Amen? Ooh, amen? There's a place for God's mercy and salvation. And there's a place for joy and celebration. And Ezra and Nehemiah step up and say, no, stop this weeping. Not today. There are days for that, but not today. This is a good day. This is the Feast of Trumpets. This is a day to celebrate God's Word is being shared. Go out. Make a feast. Prepare good food. Drink sweet drinks. And also don't forget the poor. That's what he says here. For those who couldn't do this, they couldn't do it because they didn't have it. Go out and invite them. And share with them. This is a good day. Because it's a day of celebrating God's Word. And the people rejoice. What a, this is a wonderful story. This is a wonderful account in, in, in the Old Testament. This, this is a real high point, friends. We're going to see a low point right after this. As you know from your life and my life, 
we'd like to think they all lived happily ever after, but there are some more low points to come. But on this day, verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people in their groups and said, Be still. This is a sacred day. Do not grieve. And so the people went out. They went and they ate. They drank. They sent portions of food to celebrate with great joy. Why? Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And you can read the rest of this on your own. The rest of the chapter, at the end of the month, they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, which it says it's the, it's the, it's the greatest celebration since for centuries that they had celebrated it in a new and wonderful way. Listen, friends, God's Word, God's Word, yes, it brings sorrow and repentance. It brings challenge. It, we, we are made aware of our fear and our failures. But God's Word is a source of celebration and joy because of His grace. His mercy. Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy. God has had mercy. And it's a source of joy. Listen, as you leave this place today, I know that there's a lot of things that are going on in your lives that have plenty, <clears throat> plenty of cause for challenge and difficulty. But let's not forget the place of joy and celebration. Whoa. I know what that is. <laughs> let's, not have a, let's have a place for joy in celebration in our lives as the people of God. If you leave here today, I want to encourage you, read God's Word. If you're here today, no matter where you are in that spectrum of how much you know or don't know about the Bible, you can read it. It's written for you. It's not written for scholars and professionals. It is written for you. You can read it. I, my heart was drawn to 2 Timothy as I was reading Nehemiah this week. And I'm reminded where Paul tells Timothy, the things you heard from me in the presence of many people, share with others that they can share with others. The Word of God that we read this morning in our Scripture reading, that this, this Word of God is what brings us salvation and hope. And I want to encourage you today, friends, read God's Word and find joy and peace with God through His Word. This morning we heard about the ministry of the Voice of Martyrs. In the 3rd century, Cyprian, one of the early church fathers who was also a martyr, he wrote this to Donatus. I used to have this hanging in my office. I don't need more, but I came across this. And he said this, This seems to be a cheerful world, Donatus. When I visit it from the fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climb some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Great armies on the high roads, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheater, men murdered to please the applauding crowds, under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It is really a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. Yet, in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure in this single life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world 
These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. May our joy be complete, and may our joy be true and real in our Lord Jesus Christ and the grace and the joy that we have through Him.